Well, good morning. It's a great joy for my wife Meg and me to be, to be back with you all. We have been so looking forward to, to this day. And I want again to give thanks to God for the ministry of your rector and pastor, David. David, I am, I'm not gonna look at you because I'm talking to them, but I'm actually thinking of you. Uh, I'm so grateful, uh, for David, for your, for your wise and persevering leadership, especially through all of the challenges of this past year. Uh, you have a great love for the word of God and to disciple the people of God and bring them to maturity in Christ. Uh, you have been so faithful in caring for your people. David will call from time to time with a, with a question or a concern, just asking uh, advice. And I'm always so blessed by his great heart and concern for you, uh, for what is best for you, the people of God and the body of Christ. Uh, what faithful pastoring you, you receive. And especially in the, all of the difficulties of COVID and all the rest, it's been a really challenging year. And I praise God for, um, for David, for you, and for Jennifer, uh, for your, your marriage and the witness of, of your life and love together. You're a, you're a great team. And David, you're doing a wonderful job. Thank you so much. My thanks also to, to Julie and the Vestry and to your uh, superb clergy and staff team. Uh, all of you serve the Lord uh, and this church so very faithfully. I also bring you greetings from our Archbishop, Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church in North America, uh, sends his warm greetings to you all. Well, on that first Easter morning, when Jesus rose from the dead, women went to the tomb where they encountered an angel who said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch that small phrase? Just two words, easily overlooked, the significance easily missed. Two words, and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. It's a curious phrase, unexpected and seemingly unnecessary. After all, Peter was one of the disciples. He was already included. Why the special mention? At the Last Supper, Jesus had predicted that all of his disciples would fall away in fulfillment of the scriptures, and it was Peter who responded by boasting that he would lay down his life for Jesus. He announced, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. But Jesus knew Peter. He knew his weakness, his fear, his sin. Jesus knew Peter's heart. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Later that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus exhorted Peter, James, and John, pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
when instead they fell asleep, Jesus said a second time, could you not watch and pray one hour? Watch and weigh, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so without the strengthening and direction that Peter would have received through prayer, he was unprepared for the test that was about to come upon him. Jesus was arrested, taken to the high priest's house where a meeting of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin had been convened to put Jesus on trial. Peter, who'd followed to watch from a safe distance, was confronted in the courtyard of the high priest's house by that mere servant girl who said this man was with him. And then he denied Jesus not once, but three times, I do not know this man. And as he spoke the third time, the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter remembered Jesus's words and he went outside and wept bitterly. We can only guess the depth of the shame and humiliation that overwhelmed Peter. He had boasted of great faithfulness and courage. He showed only selfishness and cowardice. He was broken and without hope. We don't know what he did next. There's no evidence that he was at the cross. Jesus' mother and the other women were there as Jesus was crucified. John, the disciple, was there, but Peter, drowning in guilt, could not face the Lord he denied. And then it was over, or so it seemed. Jesus died, his body was taken away, wrapped and placed in a nearby tomb. Despite Jesus' promise that after three days he would rise from the dead, the women went to the tomb with no thought for anything except how to get the stone moved so they could anoint Jesus' body with spices as an act of devotion. The stone, though, had been rolled away, and as the women entered the tomb, they saw an angel who told them, Jesus has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And Peter. Those two extra words say to us that Jesus is concerned for individuals, not just the world in some general sense. Some of you may remember Linus's classic line in a Peanuts cartoon, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. But Jesus doesn't just love people in general, he loves each person and Peter. Those words say that Jesus is concerned for you, not everyone else except you, you. And he's concerned for you at your point of greatest need, whatever you're experiencing, loss or brokenness or failure or pain, a marriage that is under strain or one that has ended, a child who is troubled or pulling away, a parent who is drinking, unemployment or financial uncertainty. Jesus comes and speaks not just to everyone, but to you and to me and Peter. Hearing this astonishing report from the women, Peter and John raced to the tomb and found it empty. Luke's gospel said Peter went home marveling at what had happened. 
And that night, Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, proving it was he by showing them the marks of the nails in his hands and the spear in his side. He's risen. He's alive. But so what? What did that mean? Peter was soon to find out. He and the others returned to Galilee. Some time had now passed since they'd last seen Jesus, and perhaps doubt had crept in. Peter may have been wondering what difference it ultimately made that Jesus was risen from the dead. And so we read in John chapter 21 that Peter announced one day, I'm going fishing. Perhaps he did it to pass the time, perhaps just for food to eat, but I think it's more likely that he went fishing out of discouragement, slipping back into his old way of life, but they caught nothing. And in the morning, Jesus appeared to them on the shore, though they didn't recognize him. And he told them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. And when they did, they caught so many that they were unable to haul in the net. Realizing it was Jesus, Peter jumped into the water, swam to shore. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. And when they finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, who was also called Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Not do you love me more than you love these other people. Not do you love me more than these others love me. But do you love me more than you love these fish? More than you love fishing? More than your old way of life? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus asked him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. And a third time Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the gospel says that Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter was grieved because that threefold questioning by Jesus stirred up the memory of his threefold denial. But what Jesus was doing was healing the wound. He was restoring Peter. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. By his death, Jesus paid the price for Peter's sin. And by his resurrection, Peter's life was transformed. But there was more. More for Peter, more for you and me. Jesus didn't immediately send Peter and the other disciples out with the amazing news that he was alive. Jesus knew that first they needed the Holy Spirit to empower them. So just before Jesus ascended back to his Father in heaven, he told them, wait, there's more. Don't leave town without it. Actually, that's a paraphrase. What Jesus said was, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish Spring Harvest Festival, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in power. And what a difference the Holy Spirit made. What a difference between the apostles on their own and the apostles renewed and empowered by the Spirit of God. On March 28th, 1990, Chicago Bulls basketball legend Michael Jordan 
scored 69 points in a single game. The Bulls' lead was so big that in the final minute, Coach Phil Jackson put in Stacy King, a seldom used rookie substitute. King scored two meaningless free throws. Some years later, King was asked by a reporter, what's been the highlight of your career? To which King replied, it would have to be the night Michael Jordan and I combined to score 71 points. <laughs> Peter might well have felt the same way. On his own, he was a failure, a coward, a broken sinner. But surrendered to Jesus, restored by Jesus, united with Jesus, and filled with his Holy Spirit, Peter went on to preach Jesus boldly, no matter what the cost. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 4, Peter defied the Sanhedrin, the very same council that had so terrified him and led to his denial. The council had him arrested and ordered not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter didn't deny his Lord again. He said, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than men, to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter shows me that my own past sin won't disqualify me from God's call and claim on my life. My own past failures won't disqualify me from God's call and claim on my life. My own past rebellion won't disqualify me from God's call and claim on my life. And Peter shows me that by the Holy Spirit I can be bold. No matter my temperament, my personality, I can be bold for Christ. Friends, the pressure on Christians here in our culture is only going to increase. The pressure to compromise the truth the pressure to be silent about our faith and our values. But we are called to lift up Jesus. And Peter shows me that the Holy Spirit will equip and empower me to live courageously for Christ if I will stand firm for him. Jesus is alive and he shows it, he demonstrates it, that while you were still a sinner, a failure, stuck in the place you most want to forget, he died for you. And the Holy Spirit is there in power to transform you, to heal you and embolden you to stand faithfully for him. He restores you so that like Peter, you can take a risk and reach out and share Jesus with those who need his love and his forgiveness. God's power, his mercy, and his new life are offered to everyone, and Peter, and you, and me. Amen.